Welcome back to On the Corner of Well and Why. I am your host, Allie, and this is where we discuss real estate for millennials interested in exploring what it takes to get themselves a piece of the pie. This week's episode is with Avery Carl from The Short Term Shop. We discuss short-term rentals and the different kinds of markets, how technology has come into play and changed the game for investors looking to own short-term rental properties, Avery definitely answered so many of my curiosities about being a short-term rental investor and wanting to go above and beyond. It seems overwhelming, but the reality of it is that we don't need to do as much as we think we need to do, at least to get started. Lastly, we touch on the biggest myth investors don't know regarding purchasing a rental property outside of where they live. This is such a personal topic of conversation for me because my curiosities on this subject matter are just endless and I wish the conversation was even longer for you guys and for all of us. I'm still trying to work out the kinks of navigating a shorter conversation while still getting everything that we can from these guests. So if you have any subject matters that you're curious about in the real estate world, definitely shoot me a message, an email, whatever, whatever, whatever way you know how to get in touch with me. You can find me on Instagram at Seize Your Home, S-E-A-S, Your Home. And I would be more than happy to get somebody on here to talk about something that you want to know. But for now, short-term rentals with Avery Carl. Enjoy. Avery, I am thrilled you're here because your specialty is in short-term rentals. And that's something that I am personally so intrigued by in the world of real estate. You're not only the CEO and founder of The Short-Term Shop, a real estate team that helps investors acquire short-term rental properties in the most recession-resistant markets and trains them, but you also have a podcast of your own called The Short-Term Show and a book titled Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth coming out this month in September 2021. Is that right? That is right. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to have you because I I personally am like I I need this information. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm happy to help you. Thank you. So short-term rentals. What is the difference between buying a property strictly to Airbnb it versus vacation rental investing? Okay. So I what I do is vacation rental investing. What a lot of people do when they hear the word short-term rental is, you know, they live in, you know, insert any city, any metro city in America, like Kansas City, and say, oh, well, there's this house down the street from my house that's for sale. Uh, It looks like I can make more money by putting that on Airbnb than by having it as a long-term rental. So I think I'm just going to do that. So that is a little more risky, in my opinion. Uh, There are a lot of people that rent that do short-term rentals in big metro markets. But for me, I stick to vacation rental markets because these are areas that, like, for example, so the short-term shop is a real estate agency. So we help investors buy short-term rentals. We only work with short-term rental investors, no long-terms, no primary homeowners. And then I also own short-term rentals in a few of these markets too. So we stick to areas like the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, the Destin, Florida area, Gulf Shores, Alabama, places like that where it's been the normal thing for tourists to rent a cabin in the mountain markets or a beach house or a beach condo in the beach markets rather than a hotel for decades and decades. So these are places where there have been short-term rentals since before Airbnb existed and even the internet. Uh, Whereas if you're buying in a metro market, like my Kansas City example, 
these are places that people have historically stayed in hotels and they just started staying in short-term rentals as of the past 15 years. So there's a lot of push and pull and volatility in those markets with the regulations, the primary homeowners, the hotel lobbyists. So that's kind of the difference is one is a little bit more tried and true. You're taking something that has been being done for decades and just kind of bringing it into the new millennium <laughs> and, you know, using technology to do that. Whereas, you know, 10, 20 years ago, people who owned properties in the Smoky Mountains or Destin or any of these places, Big Bear, California, had to use these local property managers that because they were the only option. They were the boots on the ground there. But now with Airbnb and VRBO and all of this technology that's available to people who own these who want to manage them remotely, you don't have to do that anymore. So it's just taking something that's already been done and technologizing it, technologizing, adding technology to it, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So you do do Airbnb and VRBO and all, this, all of those? Yes. Yes. Understood. So what is a mature vacation rental market and why is that type of market preferable to any given market? So, well, there's three types of markets. So there's metro markets that we talked about. There are, uh, the I call them fly to vacation rental markets. So these are markets where big expensive vacations. So, you know, you're flying to Hawaii to go to the beach. You're flying to Aspen to go to the mountains. Uh, and then there is the regional drivable vacation rental market. So, you know, like Panama City Beach, Florida, or Big Bear, like I mentioned, or the Smokies in Tennessee. These are areas where the majority of the tourism that goes there is driving in. It's five to eight hours from a lot of major cities and a lot of people doing weekend trips. I stick to those types of markets because, and if you take a look at the past two recessions, or I don't know if I would necessarily call coronavirus a recession, but it's certainly an economic event. So in 2008, people, it was a financial crisis recession. So people couldn't really afford to fly to Aspen or fly to Hawaii, but they would drive to the Smokies or drive to the Poconos or drive to Panama City. So it's affordable. The regional drivable vacations are affordable because they don't involve a lot of flights and things like that. So those markets did better during that recession than some of the bigger vacation markets. Same thing last year, but for different reasons and this year with coronavirus. So we shut down you know, for two weeks in the initial shutdowns in 2020. And after that, it was like the floodgates opened and we're getting higher prices per night than we've ever seen. Like I'm getting quadruple what I was getting three or four years ago. And it's because people still didn't want to go to big metro areas. They still didn't want to get on a plane, not because they couldn't afford it because they didn't want to get sick. And what they were doing because they were dying to get out of their houses is staying in control of their environment and driving somewhere and staying in an Airbnb. So the regional drivable vacation rental markets really have boomed because of COVID. So they're, what I'm trying to say, all that to say, is they are the most recession resistant because the tourism's there, the regulations are there, very favorable, and then they seem to fare better in most types of economic events than other markets that have been more significantly impacted. Interesting. That makes sense. How do you best discover potential vacation rental properties in regards to optimizing your return on investment in these areas? Well, you just want to stick to, uh, so it's not rocket science. A lot of people get really caught up on what amenities do I need to have? I need to have this checklist. It needs to check all these boxes. You really just start with 
would I stay here? <laughs> it's as simple as that. Like use your horse sense. Would I stay in this place? If yes, then, you know, keep going. Uh, but really you want to buy something that is what the tourists in the market have come to expect. So mountain markets, cabins, people are coming to stay in cabins, uh, beach markets, you know, beach houses, bright colors or white is like the new color, the luxury color, or, you know, condos on the beach. You, what you don't want to do is buy like, you know, a seventies brick ranch house in either of those markets. What you don't want it to feel like is a house that could be anywhere in the country. People want to feel like they're on vacation. So as long as it's in line with the other things that are being booked in the market, then you're going to be in good shape. You don't have to get two in the weeds on amenities. Interesting because I live by the beach and I always thought it'd be cool if you, you know, took interior design to like a whole different level with your Airbnbs, you know, cause like, yeah, you're at the beach, everything's super beachy and it's so cute and fun and stuff, but like everything's so beachy. So do you think people don't really want to go somewhere and have a different theme per, you know, do you not get too crazy with themes of interior design? You don't have to get too crazy. I mean, you, so for example, my beach houses, I, a, a lot of the, I live in a beach market also, and a lot of the other vacation rentals, especially the ones that have been, been around for a while, it's like starfish and seahorses and all this beachy stuff and seashells and blah, blah. I don't do that stuff because it is kind of a little grandma's little golden girls. I like, you know, bright colors and whites and, you know, I want it to be more updated, but that's not something that is going to necessarily cost you a lot of money to do. It's just, you know, updating the decor. Whereas I think where people get a little bogged down is over improving the property because when you're buying a vacation rental, it's really fun. You know, buying a multifamily apartment building isn't that sexy, but you know, I'm buying a beach house. That's, that's fun. And people can get a little caught up in wanting to be like, oh, I'm going to be the best experience. My place is going to be an experience. It's not just a, a vacation rental. It's an experience. And then they feel like they need to spend $200,000, like turning it into a spaceship that blasts off twice a week when you really do not have to do that. It just needs to be cute and updated and fun, a clean, nice place to stay somewhere that people want to stay. Hmm, yeah, that's solid advice because I'm definitely one of those people I'm like it needs to be above and beyond so then it probably takes us longer to even pull the trigger on any investment properties at all yeah it will take a long time for me to save 20% for a down payment but what other options are there for financing rather than the traditional 20% down investment loan there are a lot of options. I actually just started a mortgage company to supplement my real estate agency side, and we have quite a few options. So there's the 10% down vacation home loan, which you can get if you plan to stay in it and use it as a vacation home, but you're renting it out when you're not there. So that's a really great option. And then we also have a 15% down just traditional investment loan. So if you don't plan to stay in it at all, and you just want to rent it out, use it as an investment, you can put 15% down. It's called the mortgage shop. Interesting. Yeah. That's great. And it's all over all 50 states. Right now we are just in the states that we operate in, which is uh, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. Uh, we're working on the Carolinas as we speak and we're, you know, getting into more markets all the time. So expanding constantly, but right now that's where it is. Amazing. 
Can you break down what the hypothetical gross and net profits look like on an average vacation rental, or do they change drastically based on size and location? Totally dependent on size and how you manage it, but typically this is a super loose rule of thumb, but after your mortgage, after all your expenses in the markets that I'm in, you can typically net between 35 and 45% of your gross income. Hmm. And to give you an example, uh, my four bedroom in the Smoky Mountains will hit about 110,000 this year. My four bedroom in Destin, Florida will hit about 130,000. So, you know, it's a pretty good chunk of change. <laughs> Definitely. How many do you think one could have in their portfolio while managing it themselves? That's a really good question. And it just kind of depends. So once you build the system, you can totally scale it. Uh, we have eight. So we own 96 doors total, uh, eight of which are short-term rentals. And we manage the short-term rentals ourselves. Long-terms is a different story. Uh, but we manage all the short-terms ourselves remotely. And it's once you have the systems down, it is definitely something that you can teach an offshore VA, you know, that's for $6 an hour to do. So it's not... Um, I, I would say that it's kind of limitless. I would say about 10 though, is probably the max for somebody who's doing it on their own with no help. But, uh, you know, there are people who have, who have quite a bit more than that it just kind of depends on what your comfort level is. Right. And do you also teach your, I don't know, I guess you call them your clients because yep. you help them buy these properties. You Do you also teach the, these uh, practices that you guys use? Yes, yes. So the short-term shop operates in, we have offices in six vacation rental markets right now. So we're in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. So Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, the Blue Ridge, Georgia area, Gulf Shores, Alabama, and then three markets in Florida. So the Emerald Coast, which is Destin, Panama City Beach, 30A, the Forgotten Coast, which is just east of that, which is St. George Island, Cape San Blas, and uh, Mexico Beach, and then also in the Disney market. And for any clients who use us as their buyer's agents in any of the markets that we work in, we have an entire back-end training program where we teach you everything you need to know about running your short-term rental remotely, from setting up your Airbnb and Verbo listings to all the automation tools that you'll need to streamline everything so you're not having to spend as much time on them all the way down to helping you source the boots on the ground that you need, cleaners, handymen, things like that. Yeah. So speaking of that, how does one manage their short-term rental investment without living in the same city? So that's a, a limiting belief of a lot of investors, not just short-term rental investors, long-term too. They think they need to be able to drive by the property and you really do not. And people say, well, what if, what if there's an emergency? What if something happens and I need to be there? Let's think about that for a second. So an emergency would constitute like what the house floods, the guest is having a medical emergency. Neither of those things, you personally being there is going to make a difference. So you probably don't want to insert yourself into a medical emergency because it's a giant liability. And also if it's, uh, if the house floods, what are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? If my house floods down the street, I'm going to have to call a plumber and who, whatever other vendors I might need to fix that. Same thing I'm going to do if the house I'm sitting in floods, I'm going to call somebody because I don't know how to fix things. So, uh, it's really just a mindset thing of like, everything is a phone call. Um, you don't have to be present for every little thing. You just have to be able to delegate. And that's, it's, it's really just getting over the control factor and just delegating to the people who are there on the ground. So, um, 
I do recommend visiting your short-term rental like once a year just to make sure that everything is the way that it needs to be and uh, that it's not getting beat up. Because even if it's staying clean and nothing's out of place, you know, floors get scratched and you just want to make sure that everything is looking in tip-top shape, I would say about once a year. So then who on the ground floor would you, you know, would you have someone come in once a month and just pay that person some kind of monthly yeah. So your cleaner would be that person. So your cleaner will tell you after, after every checkout, if anything's out of place, if anything's scratched, if broken time to get new sheets, things like that. Uh, because when you think about it, if, if you're getting bad reviews for things being broken or things not being clean, then you're not getting booked as much and your cleaner's not cleaning as much, which means they're not getting paid either. So it's in their best interest. So they'll, all of our cleaners that we use in our different markets, are really good about saying, Hey, they did this, they did that time to replace this. And, um, you just kind of go about it that way. Yeah. That makes so much sense actually. (laughs) So aside from your content, of course, what else, where else can we turn to as a resource for this kind of educational information to take this path ourselves? There's a lot of information out there online. There's a lot of data as far as best places to invest in short-term rentals. Uh, AirDNA, Evolve Vacation Rentals has a list. Uh, So there's a lot of data about where to do it. There's also tons of information about how to do it. Um, I would be careful of gurus that are charging you several thousand dollars to take a course or something. Because what I've seen, and I've seen my clients do it, they get really, really excited. They'll buy like two short-term rentals and they get really, really excited and quit their job and they go make a guru course and they haven't even owned their two short-term rentals for a year yet. So, um, I would be really wary of, of, um, you know, make sure if you're going to pay for a course that you vet the person who's teaching it and make sure they've owned for several years and they own several and they're not just like brand new and just got really excited and like quit their job to teach people how to manage short-term rentals. But there's, I mean, there's plenty there's plenty of Facebook groups. The Bigger Pockets forums has a lot of good information that's free. Uh, but definitely buy my book, Short Term Rental, Long Term Wealth on Bigger Pockets Publishing. Definitely. Yes. I was going to ask actually. So I know that you were saying that if you, if uh, a client uses you guys as a buyer's agent for their property, then you have kind of this back end system to help them learn. Is that something you've ever considered selling to people that aren't necessarily in your markets that might want this information? Or is that what your book helps with a little bit? It does help with that. So the book is more of like a, an overview of how to do it. It doesn't get into the nuts and bolts of this is how you run Price Labs. This is how you run uh, your Porter. All of that we kind of teach in our class. It's a little more granular. Um, but we thought about it and there's pros and cons to it. And we kind of just are happy with just providing our clients extra value for now. Gotcha. All right. Well, let us know if anything changes. <laughs> I will for well, sure. Where, thank you. Where can we find you? How else can we support you? And um, is there anything else that you think people that want to know this information could hear or should hear that I maybe didn't ask? Uh, you can find me on my, uh, you can find the short-term shop at the shorttermshop.com. The mortgage shop you can find at mortgageshop.co. And I am on Instagram at the short term shop. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here, Avery. You're awesome. I love what you're doing. I think that's so fun and exciting and such a cool just niche for real estate. I, and I really, really appreciate your time. I know you're super busy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
Welp, that is a wrap, folks. Thank you so, so much for being here and spending your time, your attention, and your ears on this conversation with us. I know you can be anywhere doing anything, listening to anyone, and I am honored that you are here. That being said, that's it. That's all I have to say. I am just so grateful for my listeners, for my guests, for the people that come on here and share this time, their knowledge, wisdom, and everything else that we all have to offer because podcasting is just, I absolutely adore this medium. I feel like I'm learning so much through this process that I really, really hope I'm sharing with you something that is helpful, beneficial, useful, or at least eye-opening in some way, shape, or form. And I hope you're all taking good care of yourselves in this time. Stay safe as always. And keep on keeping on, my friends. Till next time. Ta-ta for now.